folks welcome back to another episode of triple g gingers gridiron and golf podcast i am your host stephan kerr aka that ginger and it is good to be back in the saddle and the fall heat continues here folks i'm not talking about the great weather we've had here in the southern ontario area um a little bit of um fall summer if you will i am talking about the list of our guests that continue to flood into Triple G here for the fall season. We've got two more amazing guests and another jam-packed episode this week. We're joined by Darren Irvine, director and senior writer for azcardinals.com for the Arizona Cardinals, has covered the team for 22 years and knows them inside and out. And kudos to him uh, enjoying a little 5-0 record. And we've got a returning guest that we've had on with us in the past, Mary Kay Cabot, um, who is the Browns beat writer for Cleveland.com in the Plain Dealer and Browns analyst for WKYC TV in Cleveland. So uh, we're going to be doing our big game matchup is the Arizona 5-0 Arizona Cardinals against the 3-2 Cleveland Browns in the dog pound <laughs> um, in Cleveland at uh, NRG Stadium. So that will be a big matchup um, in Week C- 6 NFL football. But before we dive into that and are joined by our guests later on, let's get into our segments. We're going to be short and sweet. We want to hand it over to the guests and let them shine here on Triple G. So let's get into it. What we learned here in Week 6 of NFL football. And listen, I could take the low-hanging fruit. Everybody knows that it was one-of-a-kind week. For NFL kickers, the statistics are out there. Um, under seventy percent from the from for field goals. I think there was by the time it uh, the Monday night game hit uh, with um, Ricardo Blankenship, they're missing the extra point. I think there was four extra points or five extra points missed throughout. So remember, a couple weeks ago, I told you kickers matter, and I think we've driven that home here in two out of the first five weeks here in in the NFL that uh, if you don't have a kicker and a trusted one that you feel can hit the big kicks, we saw how crazy the game can get, get how silly it can get in the Green Bay-Cincinnati game. For those of you that uh, may or may not have seen that absolute debacle there. So, um, And we saw what happened on Monday night with the Colts with uh you know, one blocked uh, kick, one missed kick, one missed extra point, and you lose a game that you have absolutely no business losing. But um, that is definitely a point of contention moving forward here, and something to keep an eye on is those kickers. Another piece of low-hanging fruit that we could talk about is the penalties, but we're going to keep our eye on that move forward. But what I want to get to, and most importantly, is the individual efforts and what I learned in week six is that we're watching some history here with some of the players that we're watching live. Number one, listen, I haven't been a fan of him. I haven't been a proponent of him since he came in the league. I've questioned absolutely everything he's done. 
and I I had him outside of my top ten quarterbacks um, at some point uh, last year, towards um, the start or end of last year, I believe, in uh, in the top ten quarterbacks in the NFL when we did our preview show uh, with Dutch. But we are watching another MVP season from Lamar Jackson. 37 for 43, 442 yards and four touchdowns. He was absolutely electric on Monday night after a slow start. After a slow start, mind you, but then went absolutely berserk. But listen, through five games, 67% completion, 305 yards passing per per game, eight touchdowns, three picks. He's got over uh, almost 350 yards on uh, on the ground as well with another two tight end, uh, two touchdowns, sorry. His only blemish is the five fumbles. And I believe which two or three of them have been lost fumbles, which is an, which is important as well. Um cuz I always said that about Josh Allen. You know, you may fumble, but if you're fumbling the ball out of bounds, I know you can't control where you fumble. It gets knocked out at times. But but if you're not losing them, you kind of get away with it a little bit. But, you know, Lamar's lost a, a few here um, through the first five weeks here in the NFL. But this guy is playing absolutely electric. He's on an MVP pace. And whether you believe the Ravens are for real or what they're doing is sustainable, uh, in terms of some of the wins that they've had, you know, you, you look at, we saw the Detroit game, uh, we saw the Kansas City game, we saw the Monday night game that uh, that was last night against the Colts. So, you know, you know, three out of these four wins here, um, some may question whether this Ravens squad and what they're doing is sustainable. But what I will tell you is that with the, with the rash of injuries that they had, this was the game plan, right? You're not going to get 17 games out of Sammy Watkins. He's already hurt. He'll be in and out of the lineup throughout the course of the the entire year. Will you be able to get one of these running backs back? Uh, J.K. Dobbins, probably not. Gus, probably not. Like these, these are long-term injuries here. So when you look at it, you know this is strictly Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews, and. Lamar Jackson and and predominantly Lamar Jackson and this is what he had to do and and to see him step up and be able to deliver from the pocket which was something that I saw last night um that it was much improved and in the previous game as well so I hope he can continue to progress you never want to cheer against anybody I had my doubts I was one of the big naysayers but what he's done through the first five weeks I want to see it continue because uh, he is on an MVP level, and he is definitely in that conversation for uh, MVP here in 2021. Number two, Derrick Henry, 142 carries, 640 yards, four and a half yards a clip. Listen, seven touchdowns already for Henry. He's got a 4.9 career average in the NFL. He's working on, uh, you know, a two answering back from a 2,000-yard season last season and a 15 well, over 1500 the year before so he is on pace for that if he can stay healthy he's gonna have you know 1800 1900 2000 yards again maybe even break the record this is the, this is the best back in the nfl that we are seeing here for the last three and a half years i'd say and what he's done over the last 40 to 44 games is historic nobody better in the NFL, nobody better in history. 
So um, this is not natural with uh, what Derrick Henry is doing. Kudos to Derrick Henry. And number three, I got your quarterback. I got your running back. I'll get your wide receiver. And that wide receiver wears number 17. And that is for the green and yellow Green Bay Packers. And that's Devontae Adams. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, 11 catches for 206 yards in the game against in the Cincinnati. Uh, he's the best in the game right now. You know, 42 catches for almost 600 yards, two touchdowns. Okay, the touchdown numbers are down from what we've seen in the past. You know, we're used to, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 18 touchdowns from Devontae Adams last year. So um, it's it's crazy, but 588 receptions already, 68 touchdowns already. He's averaged 116 yards per game this season. He's Him and Rodgers are absolutely unstoppable. And I think uh, we're going to continue to see more. And if he can find a way after Mr. Rogers, whether this be this year, next year, or two years down the road, uh, whether he leaves Green Bay or not, if he can find another quarterback or, or Jordan Love can step in and take the take the reins, um, this is a, all three of these guys are Hall of Fame type players that we're looking at here. Uh, in terms of their production and what they can do in the NFL. Henry's, you know, 27 turning 28. He's got another couple years left, uh, 6,000 yards in his career. He's going to need, you know, another two to three more real productive years to to be in that conversation. We all know what happens after the 30-year-old uh, 30 mark for running backs in the NFL. So will he be able to stick on a roster? Listen, this guy takes his health quite seriously, so um, and his training as well. So if there's anybody that's going to do it, it's Derrick Henry. But the wear and tear of all those carries at Alabama, and all of the carries starting to grind here in the last, he, he you know he wasn't used a lot in his first two years in Tennessee, but now over the last you know four years, two hundred and ninety, three hundred plus, four hundred carries, touches in a season. Um, and you do that year after year after year, the wear and tear that that takes as you get up uh, 28, 29, 30, um, the NFL takes note of that and sometimes shies away from those those extensions and those contracts to have you into, you know, well past your 30s in terms of running backs in the NFL. And Lamar, 24 years old, got a long way to go, but um, great start. So who knows what can happen there, but appreciate the greatness that we have and the players that we have in the NFL. That's what we learned in week six. I'm going to flip over now to my ginger's garbage. And many of you probably think that I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit and I'm going to take John Gruden and and what happened over the last you know, 72 hours here in terms of um, the emails and all of that stuff coming out. Listen, in absolutely no shape or form, do I condone anything that John Gruden said or did in those emails, conversations he's had? It's absolutely wrong. Um, from, from the starting with the you know the racist, racist, uh, racial, racial slurs uh, towards uh, Denor Smith, who um, you know the NFLPA president uh, back in 2011, and I don't care how far back it goes. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And if it's a repeated behavior, which we've seen it was, that person is probably not meant to lead a franchise, let alone a Las Vegas franchise who's in the, the midst of 
finalizing their transition to the new stadium in Vegas and with the fan base and all that stuff. So a smart move finally made by Mark Davis here to, to get rid of um, and, and, and push out John Gruden um, being the head coach and, and having a lot of clout inside the facilities there in Las Vegas. But what I want and, and my, what I want to talk about here next before we get over to my true gingers garbage is I want to take a look and a hard firm look into the NFL. Okay. And the next two, three days here are going to show me a lot. Okay. These six, 650,000 emails, they, that for those that may or may not know, they, this investigation was not directed at John Gruden. And this didn't come out of nowhere about John Gruden and, and somebody found an email or an email that was exposed and, and the New York Times got it, you know, handed this email that, you know, John Gruden was using racial slurs and slurs and homophobic slurs against Roger Goodell and, and everything that went on about the, the female rest and all that stuff. This all goes back to Daniel Snyder and the workplace sexual misconduct investigation of the Washington football team. Okay? And I believe that John Gruden's going to die on the sword here for the NFL. I believe he's going to be the scapegoat. And it's absolutely horseshit. Because if we don't hear anything about these 650,000 emails, because what was the name that was tied back from John Gruden? Was Bruce Allen. Well, where was Bruce Allen? Bruce Allen was in Washington. While all this was going on. And this is repeated behavior. And Daniel Snyder's had this issue before. So to me, I think they're throwing Gruden under the bus. If that's what's happening here, it's absolutely horseshit. Because I want somebody to fall from this Washington football team. Because we know what went on there. And the NFL does what the NFL always does. We'll just sweep it under the rug. And it'll just fade away. And the shield won't get dinged or hurt. And we'll just keep on playing. Well, enough's enough. Let's find out what happened in Washington. Let's find out the truth. Let's make somebody pay there the way this investigation started. Yes, we found out that there was, you know, some other stuff with John Gruden. And we've we've handled that now. We're going to move forward. And John Gruden will never coach in the NFL and never have a broadcasting job again. Rightfully so for what he said and did and his repeated behavior over years, year after year. I'm okay with that, but I want to get down underneath the rug and dig deep and find out what the hell's going on in Washington or what went on in Washington, and somebody's got to take a fall there as well. So I'll be pissed if I don't see that. But my real ginger's garbage is Carl Chaffers and his ref and crew. Okay? Sunday night football. Carl, you weren't the main attraction, bud. You had Josh Allen. You had Patrick Mahomes, you had Travis Kelsey, you had Tyree Kill, you had Stefan Diggs, you had Emmanuel Sanders, you had Tremaine Edmonds, you had Tredavious White, you had Jan- Legera Sneed. Do I need to say more? You had Andy Reid, Sean McDermott. Absolutely, Carl Chaffers, you are my ginger's garbage. 17 penalties handed out on Sunday Night Football. Listen. This is repeated behavior as well. Carl Chaffer's been in the league for coaching his tw- or ref in his twenty second season. 
Okay, he's on pace for 15 seasons above the league average on per game penalties called. Get a hold of this guy. Trying enough is enough. Just call the game. It is enough with the phantoms called. Let these guys play. You took away, and you really made it tough to watch. Two really good. No, the Chiefs are struggling, and I know that, but two good football teams be able to go in and play a game. The first half was choppy, not fun to watch. And you know what, Carl Chaffers, you are this week's ginger's garbage. Daniel Snyder, the Washington football team, we're keeping our eye on you for these weeks to come because something's got to happen there. All right, let's get off of the series talk. We'll get over to our game lines, and we'll finish up before break at the end of the game lines, getting over to our two guests, Mary Kay Cabot and Darren Urban, here from the Arizona Cardinals, breaking down that big 405 Sunday afternoon start in Cleveland, Ohio here. Feast or famine here in uh, week six. We've uh, we've entered the uh, the bye weeks, so we've got Atlanta and New York coming back off of the first London game. They're going to go to the bye alongside two NFC West teams in New Orleans and San Fran, and uh, we'll start with the famine. And the famine is that uh, we've got some duds here. There's a few of them on the slate this week. Uh, Miami, Jacksonville in London, another nine thirty start. Uh, we could see some sleepy English folk in the crowd on on that one for sure. But, you know, hopefully Tua can come back. you got Trevor Lawrence there. Um, hopefully we see a little bit of action. Um, Zach Wilson showed a little bit over there for the uh, for the English fans at uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday morning. And Matt Ryan did what Matt Ryan always does and shows up and shows out um, Good few weeks here from Matt Ryan, so hopefully we can get a a good game over there for uh, for the Londoners. Some promising news, looking like the NFL may start to push to play um, one of these games or another game in Germany. So nice to see um, the fruits of their labor paying off in terms of uh, the the European presence there. Cincinnati, Detroit, big game for Cincinnati, but uh, another heartbreaker for Detroit uh, in terms of uh, going to 0-5. So they'll look for their first win, but you know, not a matchup you're going to really turn on. Houston Indy, two struggling teams at 1-4. and four. Uh, Check the ticker for that one, shall you say. Rams and Giants, uh, I got this one circled. The Giants are absolutely hammered with, uh, with injuries and uh, a beat-up, banged-up offense, offensive line, everything. So... Uh, I think the Rams are going to come in and handle their business handily there. Cowboys-Patriots, uh, to me, that's a dud. I see the uh, the Cowboys coming in and handling business quite easy, winning by double digits, I think. I think these Cowboys are for real. I think they're playing good football, and uh, I just don't see Mac Jones being able to keep up. The Patriots' defense is not what we thought it was. It's not going to be dominant. It's going to be middle of the road, and they're going to make some plays here and there, and their front seven's decent, but... Um, this Cowboys offense right now with the way Dak Prescott's playing is electric. And I think that's a dud of a game. We'll pass on that one. But there are some big games, three specifically, and we'll start with the AFC. Okay, number one, start on my list. One o'clock start in Baltimore. Two, um, Chargers four and one. The Ravens three or four and one as well. Sorry, two four and one teams facing off at one o'clock here and um we got the ravens as a three-point favorite uh 
55 or 45 and a half on the uh, the game total there i believe so that is a big matchup early on here and the one o'clock window on sunday in the afc your second big matchup is uh the buffalo bills on monday night five and a half point favorites um, game total is 54 which is a huge total considering that Tennessee team likes to slow it down. I do like the under there, but uh, you got the three and two Tennessee Titans um, taking on the four and one Buffalo Bills. So that is a big matchup in the AFC side. We've got that matchup we're going to talk about a little bit later on. So we'll keep that one on the back burner, Browns, Cardinals. But in terms of the NFC matchups, there's some big ones as well. We'll start with the Thursday nighter, Tampa Bay, Philly, 4-1 versus 2-3. and three. Kind of the season on the line here for Philly in my mind. Um, but I just see Tampa coming in and continuing to roll. They absolutely dismantled Miami. It was closed for about a quarter and a half. Quarter and, a half. and then uh, the Bucks just put on the afterburners. Um, Antonio Brown, getting back to what Antonio Brown does. And he's starting to become... Um, the old Antonio Brown, which was one of the best wide receivers on this planet. And I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. The more he works with Tom, the more he gets back into um, not game shape, but just back into learning the game and the intricacies and really honing that craft. Um, I know he was working throughout all of that time where he wasn't playing in the NFL, but um, no better practice or to no better way to hone your craft than to uh, to be on a field against NFL competition there. So that's a big one. Kansas City and Washington. You know, we talked about this Washington team and, and this investigation that's been hovering over their head and the DEA's been in the in the uh, facilities and asking questions and, and getting statements and all that stuff that's, once again, if you're not paying attention, just gets swept under the rug. Everybody gets uh, the glitz and glamour of fantasy football and, and spread pools and picks and all that stuff. But um, don't let them fool you with that because there is some nasty stuff that's happened over all the years in this NFL. And they, uh, they're they the kings of, uh, of sweeping it under the rug. But uh, that's a big matchup. Some think it's a get-right game for, um, for KC. Watch out for Washington to show up. Ron Rivera is going to rally the troops. His friend Sean McDermott showed him the blueprint against Kansas City last week on Sunday night. So it'll be interesting to uh, to see. Correction on that Chargers and Ravens um, game total. I said 45.5. It's actually 51.5. Um, so my mistake on that one. But I wanted to get that correct when I said it. I kind of said that's a little low. So just checked it out here online. 51.5 is the game total on that Chargers and Ravens um, game. Game total on the Chiefs and Washington football game, 55.5 is the total. I like the Chiefs on the minus 7. I also like the Bucks in the previous game on that minus 7 as well. Another big NFC matchup, Vikes and Carolina. Vikes somehow come out as a, uh, a minus 1 point favorite here on the road in Carolina, in Charlotte. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to think here. They... You know, Carolina blows it against Philly, leads all game, blows a 15-3 lead in the fourth quarter. Um, the Vikes practically hand Detroit the game um, at home this last week, and then somehow Kirk Cousins pulls it out and gets uh, the 54-yard field goal to to hit it to win it. So um, this one, I don't know. The game total is 46.5. I'm going to take a pass because I just don't know 
um, what is going to happen there. If you had to lean one way, I'm going to lean with the, the the better offense or the more prolific offense and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and hopefully you get Dalvin Cook back. And you'd probably I would probably lean towards Minnesota if I had to take a pick, but that would be it. And the last NFC matchup or or cross conference matchup, but this is a big game. It's on Sunday night prime time. And uh, Al Michaels always loves Pittsburgh, and he'll tell you he loves Pittsburgh, and so do I. Great sports city. And the Pittsburgh Steelers open up as five-point favorites, game total at 42 against those Seattle Seahawks coming cross-country with Geno Smith at the helm. Gotta like the Steelers here. Um, You know, Geno Smith's going to have, you know, nine days to be prepared for uh, for this game, but how prepared can you get for this uh, for this um, Pittsburgh defense? You know that um, you know they're going to be ready for him. T.J. Watt and the boys, Melvin Ingram, they're going to be dialed in, and um, yeah. So I, I, I you got to like Pittsburgh there, and I like them to cover. I like them them to to turn the ball over. I think they're going to pick Geno once or twice, some sack fumble maybe in there as well. Um, they're going to bring pressure. They're going to bring heat and really try to dial them up. Geno's a veteran now, but um, you know hasn't seen a lot of time on the field. So it'll be uh, a real interesting matchup. And with both teams being 2-3, and three, a huge matchup that could turn the tide on either of these two seasons here. Because with Pittsburgh being in the, that tough AFC North, we know Seattle's in that tough NFC West. Neither of these teams can afford to fall to 2-4. and four. So uh, a couple, some big matchups there. Folks, before we get in and get over to our guests, make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We've got our Saturday pick sixes up, so uh, make sure you're following along every Saturday. we got the pick six. We'll give you the best six options with the spreads or money lines. But now, let's go big game hunting. We're going to talk the Cleveland Browns, Arizona Cardinals, with our two guests coming up back-to-back before we send it off to break. Let's see if we can get Mary Kay Cabot on the line here. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome to Brown's beat writer for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer analyst for WKYC-TV, Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, uh, welcome welcome back. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, it was great. Uh, I know you joined us uh, in December earlier there uh, before the playoff run for for Cleveland and and um, it's great to have you back and I know you're fresh back from from SoFi Stadium what did you think of uh, of the new stadium and and how amazing is it oh my gosh it was so amazing uh, it was really exciting to be there uh, it made me uh, think of, of how fantastic the Super Bowl is going to be there it's just a it's a really glitzy high-tech uh, new facility. It, it's just seems like you're like in a spaceship or something. Uh, it, it was really, really cool. Uh, the scoreboard is just this round surround thing above the, uh, above the field. Uh, it, it's like a score circle with just enormous, enormous uh, video boards on it and big screens. And uh, it, it's really, it's a great, great venue to watch a football game in. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And I know, uh, I know the Browns didn't get the result they wanted as, uh, you know, coming away from, from Los Angeles. But, you know, the defense had been playing well. What happened uh, last week with, you know, letting up 47 points? We know Justin Herbert and, and you know, 
an emerging superstar and how good he can be in, in that offense. But, you know, that didn't seem like a typical Browns defense performance this year. What, uh, what went wrong? What are they going to point to as they move forward here up against a big game against Arizona coming up? You know what? I'll tell you what. So much of, and you know, you, you hate to make kind of excuses, but so much of that defensive performance had to do with the fact that uh, the Browns were completely banged up in that game on defense, and they just kept losing guys during the game. It was just a war of attrition that was going on. They went into the game without Jadavian Clowney, uh, who his knee flared up before the game. They also went into the game without starting cornerback Greg Newsom, who was out with a calf injury. During the game, uh, one by one, a bunch of other guys went down, including Denzel Ward, their other starting cornerback, who left with a neck injury. His status for this game against the Cardinals is uncertain. Uh, but other guys kind of got banged up during the game, including Malik McDowell, Miles Garrett, Greedy Williams, uh, MJ Stewart, you know, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Every time you looked up, somebody was down on the ground. It was a very physical battle, and they emerged from it, from it uh, pretty banged up. So they really are going to need to uh, try to heal up quickly and get out there against these 5-0 Cardinals. Yeah, and you mentioned Jeremiah Owusu Karamola. Um, what is? I know it's only five weeks in, and I know there were some some big expectations for him coming into Cleveland and and being able to be you know a little bit of that wild card in terms of being able to do a lot of different things. Um, how's it been so far for him through five weeks? Uh, are, you know, is the dog pound happy with him? The, the, uh, the fan base, are they, do they like what they see? I know he's leading the team in tackles. Um, how's it going with him? Oh yeah. You know, the fans love him already. He's going to be a really, really good player for this football team. He's got a lot of speed. He's the team's best blitzer. He can play sideline to sideline. He's got the versatility to do so many things. Uh, he can cover, he can rush, he can tackle. I think he's going to start taking the ball away. Uh, so he, he's a really cool player and I think the fans are going to love him as, as he gets really into this game. Yeah. And that'll be kind of that next evolution or next step for that Browns defense. We know they've been, you know, minus last week, they've been pretty solid and, you know, with 15 sacks, but, but only four takeaways in terms of two interceptions and two forced fumbles. So hopefully they can start to get the ball out a little bit more and start to turn it over and, and, you know, start to win the turnover battle as they sit at, I think even right now in terms of plus minus in terms of turnover ratio, flipping over to the offensive side of the ball, Mary, um, this Baker Mayfield injury with the torn labrum, is this something that we're going to be watching all season long or cause he looked pretty good to me last, the week before, you know, there was some accuracy issues. Is this something that we're just going to kind of watch week by week, or is this something that we're going to be talking about all season long? You know, I, I really don't think it's something that uh, that we're going to be talking about all season long. The Browns have really downplayed it. They don't feel like it's an issue. Uh, they watch him every day in practice. I watch him every day in practice, and it hasn't been a problem. I mean, he really has been uh, pretty pretty good, pretty accurate in practice. I think the uh, Minnesota game was just a weird game for him. They dialed up a lot of deep passes to Odell Beckham Jr., even though they weren't working. Uh, they only connected two of seven times in that game for 27 yards. And it just, you know, they just didn't have it together that game. So, um, you know, I do think that Baker needs to step it up in a lot of ways. But uh, I, I don't think that the shoulder is, you know, a huge reason why uh, he's not up amongst the top five quarterbacks right now. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned, you know, dialing up some deep passes and you, and you look down at, you know, what we've seen from this offense in five weeks. And 
we know they're a run first offense with a great offensive line and that's kind of carried over from last year and, and into this year but what's how are they going to get the emergence of the wide receiver back into this offense you know you look at the likes of Najoku uh, is leading the team significantly in yards and Kareem Hunt's leading the the um, team in receptions out of the backfield but they just don't have that wide receiver and I know they've been banged up a little bit but you look at somebody like an Anthony Anthony Schwartz sees five targets week one and now he's you know only getting a target a game here for the last four weeks is there a plan to get that wide receiver back in from Stefanski or are we just going to see, you know, ground and pound and, and, you know, hit the tight ends and move the chains type of offense for the, uh, for the entire season? Well, I think once Jarvis Landry gets back, I think that will change the passing game a lot. He's a tried and true receiver for uh, Baker Mayfield and Baker. uh, The reason why Anthony Schwartz hasn't been getting the ball is, you know, he just made such an egregious error on that, uh, on that one ball that he got against the the Texans and uh, that resulted in Baker Mayfield's torn labrum. Uh, it was a rookie mistake. I think they felt he wasn't really ready after that. He hasn't gotten too much action since then and he needs some seasoning. He missed most of training camp and and all of the offseason with the hamstring injury. It's tough to catch back up from something like that. Uh, so I think having Jarvis back will help a lot and then um, I also think that, uh, you know, it would help a lot if if Baker and Odell could kind of get their their mojo down together, but not sure if and when that's going to happen. Yeah. Is there is there a reason why like there's there's different things out there in terms of, you know, why they can't get on the same page? Some saying, you know, it's because Odell runs such obscure routes and, and doesn't really stick to what the game plan is, but is there anything that you see in practice? Like, is it, it, are they not working together or is it just that they just can't get on that same page or, or do you think it's something that will come uh, with some more practice time here? You know, I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's going to come with more practice time. I keep waiting for it to happen and it never does. So I don't know if it will or if it won't, Uh, you know, the trade deadline is coming up on November 2nd. I actually, uh, you know, wouldn't, I don't think it would be the worst idea in the entire world if they considered moving on from Odell and kind of cutting their losses and giving him an opportunity to go somewhere where he can really shine and excel too. If it's not going to happen with these guys together, then, you know, then maybe it's time to to try to think of something else. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that as well, Mary Kay. That's not, uh, not a bad option at all. Um, what's the temperature like in Cleveland right now in terms of inside of that facility? How important is this game to them? You know, you look at what's ahead with the Broncos on a short week right after, and then you've got, you know, your arch rival in, in the Steelers who the Browns have had great success with over the last uh, year, year and a half year, but still going to be a tough matchup when, uh, when the black and gold comes to town. How important is this game for, for the Browns here? Oh, it, it, it is, it's a very big, important game right now because the Browns have got to get back Uh, on top of it you don't want to string together two back-to-back losses they haven't done that in the Kevin Stefanski regime and they certainly don't want to start it now this is going to be such a dogfight in the AFC North they can't afford to lose games uh, especially you know teams that you would have looked at at the beginning of the season and you know they're coming into your home stadium you would have counted the Cardinals as a victory now of course nobody expected them to be 5-0 and at this point so it's not going to be uh, the you know as easy as you may have thought it was going to be, but still this is a game that the Browns should win and they are favored. 
So they want to get back uh, at four and two. They do not want to fall behind the Ravens at this point. It's going to be just close all the way down to the wire. Uh, and pretty much every game is, is extremely important. What's uh, what's the key for the Browns this week in your mind in terms of, uh, of getting trying to get back on track, like you said there, and get to four and two? Is it get back to uh, the running game? Is it stopping Kyler Murray, slowing him down a little bit? Um, what do you think the key is for, for the Browns to make that happen? Yeah, there are a number of keys, but I think one of the biggest ones is to try to figure out uh, what to do about this dynamic, mobile quarterback in Kyler Murray. He's playing so well. Uh, you know, they're really going to have to try to disrupt him, get him off of his game, and, uh, you know, just try to get him off of his mark so that he doesn't get hot and rolling around. And um, so that that's another key. But I, I think that the Browns getting their running game going against a poor run defense, just like last week's against the Chargers, uh, will accomplish a couple of things, including – uh, keeping Kyler Murray off the field. So they need to possess the ball, run it as much as they possibly can, and uh, and and try to just stay on the field as much as possible. Yeah, but sometimes that's the best way to slow down a, a hot offense or a, or a hot quarterback is, is not get the ball in their hands. Mary Kay, let us know, our listeners, where we can find you uh, as we move forward throughout the season. Tons of great content that you're always uh, putting out. Let us know where we can catch you at. Uh, well, mostly on, you know, cleveland.com slash Browns. And, uh, of course, listen to all our podcasts wherever you can find them. We, uh, we podcast pretty much every day, and we really enjoy doing it. And uh, you can find those wherever you get your podcasts. It's called the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. And most of the links, you can find them on, uh, you know, on cleveland.com. But then also my Twitter account is at Mary K. Cabot. That's Mary, just like it sounds, K-A-Y. Cabot, C-A-B-O-T, at Mary Kay Cabot, and you'll find all of our, our stuff linked to on there, and uh, we'd be happy to have you. Awesome. Well, we appreciate your time. We know we know you're busy, especially during a, a big week like this, and um, hopefully you're able to uh, get up and see your daughter up in Quebec. I know we were talking about, talking about it before you came on here, so hopefully that can happen soon, and uh, thanks again for joining us. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. You take care. Always enjoy talking to Mary Kay Cabot. She knows the Cleveland Browns inside and out. She's been on the scene down there in Cleveland for a while, and it's uh, always a pleasure talking to her. And let's get on first-time guest. Been covering the Cardinals for 22 years. Um, 5-0, these Arizona Cardinals are. Big matchup for them. But let's flip over to our guest, and we'll get him on. I think we've got Darren Irvine. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome. 22 years covering the Arizona Cardinals director and senior writer at ArizonaCardinals.com, Darren Urban. Darren, are you with us? I am with you. Ah, oh, perfect. It's, it's uh, welcome aboard. Uh, first time on, uh, on our podcast, so I appreciate you coming on and appreciate your time. No problem. Well, let's get right into it. Um, what can we say? 5-0. and oh. Uh, great start, like we were talking off air there. Um, those those uh, tough years must be uh, make this year that much more better with uh, with a five and zero start. Yeah, I mean, I, again, when you're uh, when you cover an NFL team, most of the time, uh, especially as long as I have, there's going to be some ups and some downs, and you're going to be covering some bad teams here and there. It's the cyclical nature of the game. Uh, but but right now, obviously, the Cardinals are in a good place. They have a good quarterback. They have a very good roster. 
Uh, and right now, they're the only undefeated team in the league. Uh, that's great to hear. Great to hear, no doubt. Darren, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, as we as we look at this team and, and I look at the coaching staff, what's changed or why has Cliff Kingsbury been able to get the most out of this roster and maximize this roster? Is it the, the continuity with having, you know, Vance Joseph and Jeff Rogers and Sean Cougar around for, you know, years three, two, three, and four and, and you know, they're getting used to the system or is it something's clicked with clicked with with cliff and he's kind of figured out the nfl game what are your thoughts there well i mean i think it's a little of a lot of things i mean there is a, a reality that when he came into the league uh just like his rookie quarterback i mean they neither one of them had been in the nfl before and they there was going to be a learning curve for both the quarterback kyler murray and for cliff kingsbury and so that's part of the equation but uh, continuity, I do think, is important. It's important in this league in a lot of ways, and I think some people can tend to forget about that part of it, and I think that can hurt teams when you're quick to make changes all the time. Uh, and then the, the other part of it is uh, that any quarterback is going to get better, uh, again, as he learns the game. Kyler has done that. They've built a nice roster. They have arguably one of the best receivers in the game. They have a very good defense with some stars on that. Uh, they have some good skill position players. They've added a couple of rookies that have helped. I mean, you have to have talent. And, and when it all comes down to it, I mean, obviously coaching matters, all this other stuff matters. But if you don't have enough talent, uh, you're only going to be able to go so far. And I think that's part of it. the biggest part right now is that they just have built up the roster that they have enough good players. Yeah, that makes total sense. What's changed in Kyler's game that you've seen from year one to two to three and to where he is now, you know, five games in here, where he's now playing at a you know an MVT, MVP type of, of level here in in twenty twenty one? Is it is it something clicked or is he really just worked on and honed on his game? I think it's mostly the latter. I mean, he was already playing at a pretty high level, made the Pro Bowl last year, was a really good player. Uh, the one thing that I think everybody wanted to see him do this year was be a little bit more productive in the pocket, especially in intermediate passing, um, and make smarter decisions overall, which that's what you ask of any young quarterback as he goes along is to get better at the decision making. And, uh, and that's what he's done. I mean, he hasn't had to run nearly as much. It does not hurt that he's got the most skill position players, effective skill position players that he's had since he's been around, uh, which gives him a lot of uh, options in terms of throwing the ball. You can see how he's spreading the passes around, that there's no one guy that's really dominating there. And, uh, and that's a, a testament to the guys that he has out there uh, that he can throw to. So, again, there's so much of this is just a natural progression to where they are and uh there, there there had to be some patience and time given again to the head coach and the quarterback especially uh and now that they've had that time uh they were able to uh make it pay off at least through five games this season yeah do you, you mentioned that the fact of the, the spreading the ball and, and really being able to make good decisions from the pocket darren do you see that continuing you know you look at Edmonds and hopkins and kirk and Ron, rondell moore and all these guys got 20-plus receptions. Um, do you think that's going to be – is that the offense that we're looking at here in 2021 for, for these Cardinals? Or do you think the likes of an A.J. Green and a D. Hop will eventually take over and start to see 
higher targets, higher numbers, higher receptions, all that stuff. Uh, I mean, as long as they keep winning and they're doing it this way, I don't know why you would change. Now, I guess defenses could change the way they defend the team right now. And but but to do to to cover the rest of these guys would mean to give less attention to DeAndre Hopkins. And I think teams are still more afraid of him than anybody else. And he's going to get a handful of catches every game. But if they're going to really focus on him, it makes more sense to go other places. And it's going to mean uh, probably more spreading out of the targets. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, injuries can play a factor in this. This team just lost tight end Max Williams uh, potentially for the season. Uh, so, you know, that's a guy who was in that list of whatever he had had, 16 catches, uh, you know, where everybody's getting a little bit. Now, if you take him out, that's one more target. Uh, that you don't have so do you where where does the targets that he was getting where do those go now uh do they have another tight end that does something or might there be you know more for the guys that already were getting them i don't know what the answer to that is yet uh but again if it's not broke you don't fix it yeah for sure what um you know and you can tell me to pump the brakes on on this question but how good can rondell Moore be can you know i, I look at you know, five seven hundred eighty pounds, and and he, to me, he just screams of of that similar receiver who's in the division, somebody like a Tyler Lockett. Um, is, is that the kind of ceiling for Rondell Moore? And and how good can this guy be? And you know, I've, I know you've seen him through camp and and through five games here, and, and he made some hell of a grabs uh, on Sunday, uh, this Sunday that just passed, one specifically on the sidelines that made uh, national coverage. Um, how good can this kid be? You know, I don't – I could be wrong long-term. I, I don't see him as a locket. Locket to me, uh, you know, is more of a – he's not a huge receiver, but he's more of an outside guy, one guy that you're going to send deep a lot. I do think Rondale Moore has the speed to go deep, but I think his best game is suited in space, you know, using him uh, across – you know, out of the slot, that kind of thing. Lockett isn't really a slot receiver, and so uh, I don't, I don't know if the comparison would be one to one there. Um, but I do think Rondale Moore has a chance to have fairly significant upside. I know that there were some comparisons for him before the draft uh, with Tyreek Hill. Again, that's a pretty high bar to set, and it's not necessarily fair to Rondale Moore. But you can kind of see it in terms of his speed. The way he, if you can get him in the right matchups, how he could just destroy teams down the field over the middle. Uh, and I think as he gets used to this offense and he gets used to Kyler Murray, there's just going to be more of that. But, you know, right now, his two biggest catches of the year, the one you just mentioned, which gained 33, and then he had a 77 yard touchdown catch, those are basically both busted plays. Uh, the 77 the yard are much more of one, uh, but even the one the other day that, Tyler had to scramble and, and Rondell worked his way over towards the sideline so he could throw it to him. So I think right now, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to know exactly where he, he would be in terms of downfield passes if it wasn't for some of those plays. I mean, right now they, they're using him out of the backfield. They're using him in motion. They're getting him the ball in space horizontally and then letting him run through guys with his speed and his power. And I think that's where he's best suited right now. Yeah. Flipping over now to uh, to this week and, and the cross-country uh, matchup as, as the Cardinals come across country here to play 
in Cleveland for a for a big uh, four o'clock start, which helps him a little bit. How is this D line going to be able to stand up against a uh, you know a mauling offensive line of of Cleveland? And you know I know the defense has, play, has played well, holding four other five opponents to to under twenty points, but you know you've got a you know traveling on the road against a Cleveland squad that loves to run the ball. Arizona seems to be letting up a little bit on the run side. Can the D line stand up? And what's the issue there on that run defense? Is it fits? Is it just guys getting too aggressive and and not fitting in their gap? Um, give us a little information there. Well, I mean, I would agree that uh, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. I don't, I don't know exactly how this defense is going to hold up against this run. They've clearly had some issues, and the 49ers were able to do some damage without the kind of running backs that the Browns have coming into the game. So how that all goes down, especially with Chandler Jones uh, potentially not playing after going on the COVID list, you know, that doesn't help things for them. Um, I I don't know what's going to happen. I I know they want to continue to get better on the run defense, whether they can get there at some point. I don't know whether they can get there by this weekend uh, when you're facing the best running team in the league uh, in all kinds of categories, I'm not sure. But the one thing this defense has done is made sure that they didn't give up points. And quite frankly, uh, that's the ultimate name of the game. And even if they give up 200 yards rushing, but the Browns only score 20 points, I think they'll take that. Now, whether that happens, I don't know. But uh, I think they, they do feel bounce back uh, after struggling against the 49ers. Yeah, and, you know, what's the key offensively then for for the Cards coming into Cleveland? You know, Cleveland's given up some points in the last couple of games here. Um, you know, they do have a vaunted pass rush and a one-two punch that's kind of banged up right now, though. What's the key offensively for the Cardinals? Um, you think they're just going to try to keep doing what they're doing? Or do we start to see some of the wrinkles or the evolution of this, this offense here this week against Cleveland? Well, again, I, I think you don't – you don't try and fix something that's broken. And I don't think it's broken after one game that what I'm curious about is the 49ers do a nice job of containing Kyler on the scramble this past weekend. Can the Browns who don't see Kyler as much, can they do that themselves? Now they did play against uh, with a different coaching staff. Of course they did play against um, uh, Kyler when Kyler was a rookie. Uh, Kyler had a pretty good day that day. The Cardinals won. You know, is that enough for them to know what's going on? Do they take what the 49ers did and try and keep him in the pocket? And if they do that, can they still get enough pressure? Now, the one thing that I'll have to see is one of the injuries the Cardinals are dealing with is their center, Rodney Hudson. So if he is out for the game, you know, back up Max Garcia, do they have some issues up the middle? Max Garcia played actually pretty well when he came in the other day. Uh, Can they hold up? You know, if Miles Garrett is coming hard, do they help with DJ Humphrey on the left side so that Miles Garrett isn't going against him one on one? It's just going to be really interesting to see how all that goes. But uh, I know that, um, you know, I, I know that this team has the firepower to be able to score points against the Browns. I don't think the Browns, I think the Browns have a good defense. I don't know if they have a great defense, uh, but we're going to see. This is. This is a really difficult test. It's an underrated test because the Browns obviously have lost a couple games they don't feel like they should have. Uh, and I'm very curious to know, you know, can the, who, which team is going to be able to make the other quarterback struggle more? You know, can the Cardinals turn this into something where they, Baker Mayfield has to beat them? Because I think 
if that happens, the Cardinals come out ahead. But if you let them run all over you and then you get some pressure on Kyler, you know, maybe the Cardinals end up with their first loss. We'll have to see. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, but it's definitely uh, I've got it circled on my my schedule, no doubt, uh, for that 405 start. I think it's one of the bigger games of the week. And like you said, I think it's uh, one of the most underrated games of the week, no doubt. Yeah. It, you know, looking at, at the schedule and in its entirety, how, how big is this next six games for the Cardinals um, for their psyche as a franchise? And as you feel around the team, do you feel that, you know, these next six games is going to push towards a playoff and really try to push them into a playoff run here? Or could it, if, if things start to, you know, go the other way a little bit, do you feel that psyche could go, you know, sideways and it could be, you know, you could find yourself at a, you know, a six and four type of situation or seven and four type of situation. Do you feel this is an important part of the schedule or do you feel that, you know, this is just the next game in, in this 2021 season for the Cardinals where, you know, they're going to be able to do some special things? It's hard to not feel like it's just the next game. I mean, to, to, to start looking for, I mean, first of all, this team's five and oh, and, and I know that a lot of people were, a little bit disappointed that they didn't beat the 49ers by more, but they did beat them and they're still five and oh, and this idea that all of a sudden that they could, you know, collapse to six and four or something. I just think is, uh, I don't know why you would go there at this point. Um, I, I would say that, you know, this is going to be a big one uh, clearly this week, but then the next, you know, their next game uh, is a home game against Houston, which Houston, Houston struggles. And, yeah. and they're going to have a lot of uh, emotion in that game with DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt playing them for the first time. So I feel pretty good about that one. And then the Packers have to come here on the short week. And I know the Packers have been playing better, but I don't think the Packers have had done anything necessarily where you're thinking these guys are definitely going back to the NFC Championship. And they're playing on a short week too. And they have to do the, do the traveling. So I think the Cardinals have the advantage there. doesn't mean they'll beat them. But, yeah. I, you know, so, you know, and I honestly, after that, I'm not even sure who, who would be up next. I, I know the Seahawks and Panthers are going to start filling in some of those those games. But I, I, I know that uh, I know that they've tried really hard to be one game at a time right now. And, and I'll tell you, if, if even if the Cardinals come out of these next three games and they're six and two, that's probably better than anybody thought they were going to be. And, and the way they're playing, I guess I would be a little surprised if they don't, if they're not, maybe not seven and one. I mean, I, I think they can win this weekend. It's going to be tough. I definitely think they can beat Houston. I think, again, they'll be favored against, at home against Green Bay, barring some kind of crazy injuries. So, I mean, they're, they're in a, a much better place than a lot of people thought they were going to be at this point. And I think they need to ride that. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Ride it for sure. It's uh you know, when you when you get it on paper, it, it looks it looks tough. But like uh, like you just broke it down for our listeners there, you, you go game at a time. And, and you, you're right. You, you're favored in a bunch of those games and you handle your business. And, you know, you're going into a bye week right where you want to be going for a stretch run for the playoffs. No doubt. All right. Darren, uh, appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on before you let, before you let us go. Let our listeners know where we can uh, where we can find you at, where we can find your articles and all that uh, all that content you got. Uh, well, you can start on Twitter at Cards Chatter, uh, and then the website is azcardinals.com, azcardinals.com. Beautiful. Well, thanks for coming on. Enjoy the rest of the season, and uh, hopefully we can catch up uh, 
later on in the year when the Cardinals were uh, are uh, in the midst of a Super Bowl run. Appreciate you. Well, there you go, folks. Absolutely amazing breakdown in our big game hunting matchup and there's no better no better place to go big game hunting than the dog pound in cleveland to uh to start it off at 405 here in week six of the nfl that's your week six nfl game lines like i said make sure you're following us along on facebook instagram and twitter to check out that pick six also you can check out our golf picks on uh, on uh, thursday as well and we'll catch you on the flip side Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really want it like yeah. Here comes the, no, here comes the, I love this Triple G podcast where real life sports and you talk with me. All right, folks, hope you enjoyed the little segment there from Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. We're going to be short and sweet on the golf side. Most of the tours are winding down here. But uh, a couple quick shout-outs on the golf in the world of golf. Number one, shout-out to J.R. Smith. Um, Played his first college event. For those that don't know the story, yes, that is J.R. Smith, former Cleveland Cavaliers professional athlete from the NBA. He has reemerged back into um, college or uh, re-entered back into college, and he's actually playing some college golf. So he played his first tournament uh, this past week. I believe he missed the cut, but uh, 83-78 um, got stung by some bees. There's a video that got emerged uh, just a few hours ago here on Tuesday um, that he got uh, swarmed by hornets and got some stung by some bees, but uh, kudos to him either way for uh, for getting on that scene and, and playing, and he's going to learn. And um, he'll get better. And and the one thing with professional athletes is they have the mind mind state. They have that. He's got that already. He knows the work that it takes. So um, never say never. And good for him for uh, for giving it a shot. He's getting some education along the way and and probably having a good time. So good for Jr. On a sadder note, for those that used to wake up on a Saturday morning and hear the voices of. Renton Laidlaw on the European tour for some of those big European tour events. And I've said this before, like, uh, you know, with my dad being Scottish, we grew up watching, you know, the the golf channel and the European tour from, from Thursday through Sunday. It was on in the morning because of the, the time difference. And then in the afternoon would, would be the PGA tour or the, the ladies tour or the senior tour or whatever, you know, whatever golf you could find. But, you know, Thursday through Sunday in the morning was was Renton Laidlaw and the European Tour. So um, Renton's passed on. So shout out to, um, you know, hearts, heartfelt condolences as well to Renton Laidlaw. Shout out for a great career, a great life, and a great man. And, um, you know, condolences to his family. And I uh, hope everything, uh, prayers and best wishes go to uh, the Laidlaw family. In terms of what's happening in the world of golf, LPGA tours on a break week coming off of uh, the Founders Cup. Uh, Jin Young Ko with her 10th victory. Absolute uh, superstar here. She's 26 years old, 10 wins now, two majors. So look for more for her coming in to the 2022 season. 
Um, Brooke finishes with another solid finish, another good finish here to the end of the year. T2 last week, T13 this week. Good first round, 67, but just couldn't put it together after that with a 70, uh, 70, 70, and then 71 in the final round. So two 70s there sandwiched in between a 67 and a 71 for Brooke. Flipping over to the European Tour, Rafa Cabrera-Bello uh, winning the Open Espana, uh, winning his home championship. The Spaniard comes home and takes home his um, home championship. So it's like a Canadian winning the Canadian Open. So really cool story there. Um, hadn't really shown a lot of form on the PGA Tour or the European Tour over the last season, really. And uh, nice to see him come back. And this week, the European Tour for the Andalucci uh, Masters will be at Valderrama, one of my favorite golf clubs worldwide. Have have not had the opportunity to play there, but would uh, would absolutely die for it um, to play at Valderrama. Uh, like I said uh, last a couple episodes ago, one of those courses that's forever etched in my memory because of the 1997 Ryder Cup and um, you know everything that went on, and just I'll never forget that Friday morning waking up and. You know, Tiger Woods is, is there, Jimmy Furyk, and, and that American squad, Montgomery and Westwood and Faldo and Jimenez and, um, you know, some of the golfers we all grew up in, especially with my era. So Valderrama, one of my favorite clubs, and Alucci Masters on the European Tour. Shout out to Philly Mick taking home uh, the Jim Furyk uh, Classic, I call it, uh, on the Champions Tour, or Jim and Friends Charity Classic. So uh, shout out for Philly Mick taking that home and they're at Prestonwood Golf Club in uh, Cary, North Carolina this week for the SAS Championship so that is a, a big tournament as they wind down towards the Charles Swap Cup on the Champions Tour so that will be a big one to pay attention to as that race heats up here for the last few weeks and on to the PGA Tour we come off of the Shriners we're in Vegas again at the Summit Club in Vegas and uh, we cashed for those that uh, checked out the picks and, and took some, shout out to Greg Simon. Uh, he did not listen to my Adam Hadwin pick, but he did hop on Matt Wolf with me, and we were able to cash. Um, I think Greg was uh, able to take home with some money. We were able to get on an each way just to uh, enough to c- cover our bets and some, so uh, taking home a little bit of scratch last week. If Hadwin would have caught on, he was at one twenty-five to one twenty-five to one to win that event, folks. When we picked him on uh, on uh, Tuesday night here, sixty-six to one on the each way, absolutely phenomenal odds, and he misses out by one shot. T six for Adam Hadwin. So we were real tight. We were all around it, and we were able to get a little bit of scratch back off of our bets this week or last week. This week, we as like we said, we go to the CJ Cup. And what a great field. It's only 70 deep. Some great names in there. Dustin Johnson, Morikawa. Um, the who's who of uh, of the PGA Tour is here in Vegas. And what a dangerous schedule. Back-to-back weeks in Vegas. Uh, you know, I was saying to somebody off air, you could tell, uh, even though the t- conditions got a little bit uh, tougher at TPC Summerlin, Summerlin last week for the Shriners, um, the fight was in town. Always stuff to do in Vegas. So you can see Saturday night into Sunday. The the Sunday scoring was, I would like to see the numbers there. Sunday scoring at Summerlin for the Shriners or wherever when they're in Vegas. Got to be a shot, a half shot to a full shot higher. 
um, if you are catching my drift and reading what I'm saying. But uh, let's close this episode out now, folks. We've got our picks for this week. Dutch didn't get him into me, so he'll have his up on uh, Thursday morning when we put him up over all of our social media at Triple G, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But Ginger's picks for this week at the CJ Cup, I'm not going to give you the easy ones. I'm going to provide some value here for all of our listeners out there, and we're going just like we did with Arizona and Cleveland. We're going big game hunting here. I've got nobody that's lower than 50 to 1 here. And so uh, we're going big game hunting. We're going to try to get you a big time payday here, listeners, for uh, the CJ Cup. And we'll start with our best odds. He's playing great golf. Um, hasn't really played and shown well in this event um, in any of the research that I could do. But T8 at the Shriners, T26 at the uh, the Sanderson Farms. So he's playing good golf right now. He's 50 to 1. And that is Aaron Wise. We're taking Aaron Wise 50 to 1. Next up, showing really well at this event. Not playing too great, but you know what? He he was 40th uh, at the Shriner, so he got four tournament rounds in and got better as the week went on. But he's trending in the right direction at this event. 2018 T36, 2019 T12, 2020 last year he was sixth outright. At 55 to 1, we're taking Joachim Nyman. And our final pick at 66 to 1, he was fifth here in 2020. Also, the same as Aaron Wise, really trending in the right direction. He was uh, T4 at the Fortnet and T11 at the Shriner. So he's playing good golf. He's right on the cusp, on the precipice. Like I said, 66 to 1, we're taking Taylor Gooch. So we got Aaron Wise, Joachim Nyman, Taylor Gooch. 50 to 1, 55 to 1, 66 to 1. Place it a few lower the the units, but place a few units down. Make sure you get in on the each way in case one of the one these guys top five, and you'll be able to cash some serious, serious cake this week at the CJ Cup, folks. Folks, you can get our podcast anywhere you get your pod, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you pod. Other than that, like I've said. Make sure you're following us along Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure you're sharing to all the listeners out there. Shout out to all of you. Without you, there is no podcast. Last week was our highest listened podcast in season number two. So thank you for that. Share this Triple G podcast for any golf or football fan out there. Enjoy some week six NFL football. Enjoy a little silly season golf. Make sure you take advantage, if you can, of some beautiful weather over the course of the next few days here, and we'll catch you next week.